0: A few weeks ago, I went to my final toy show of the year. The fall Con NJ show, which tends to run during the second weekend of November, generally marks the end of another season of toy shows on the East Coast. And while it would be months before the new show season would begin, once the snowy weather of the winter dies down and we welcome yet another spring, this year's toy show offering was an incredible one. The pandemic and its resultant quarantine prevented larger gatherings from occurring in the first half of this year. But once general restrictions lifted and people felt more comfortable attending events again, exhibitors scheduled as many weekend shows as possible to make up for lost time. And by the time I headed to Wayne, New Jersey to meet up with my friends at ToyCon NJ, it felt like a fitting end to a packed second half of the year. Once inside, I made my way into the larger of the two gymnasiums. I walked along the closest aisle, shifting my focus between the tables to the right and left of me, in search of vintage and modern Star Wars gems. At one point, a carded Emperor's Royal Guard caught my eye, and I walked over to it to inspect it more closely. A few shoppers were also at the table, and they were blocking the vendor behind it. As they moved aside the vendor called my name. I was surprised to see Ryan, who goes by the name Humble Hoarder on eBay. If you've listened to the podcast, you're probably familiar with Ryan by now. He's a good friend of mine. Ryan and I met almost a decade ago, and we love to talk Star Wars and collecting. We've been there for one another through the ups and downs of life over the past few years. And our friendship really developed as a result of attending these local toy shows. And at this recent Toy-Con show, Ryan had a stack of Star Wars-related magazines on his table. As soon as I saw them, I picked them up and asked how much he wanted for them. I had a feeling they would come in handy as Star Wars-related resources. Ryan gave me an incredibly kind deal on the lot, and he threw in another bundle of smaller magazines as well. When I returned home after the show that night, a number of the covers of the smaller magazines caught my eye. They were from a publication called Star Wars Galaxy Magazine, and although I had seen the magazine in passing over the years, I had never explored the contents of any of the issues. I wanted to make sure my friend's kindness did not go to waste, so I decided to read one issue each night for the next few weeks. This is a collection of 15 fascinating facts about the Star Wars films that I learned from Star Wars Galaxy Magazine, ones that I simply had to share with you. This is an exploration of an incredible publication that looked back on the wonder of the original trilogy of the 1970s and 1980s, and looked ahead to the Lucasfilm Properties Revival of the 1990s. And this is Star Wars. Prototypes and production. Star Wars Galaxy Magazine was a quarterly publication produced by Topps Publishing. Between 1994 and 1997, Topps released 13 issues. Each one was filled with articles and interviews about the films, as well as the stories and collectibles that came from them. And with the 90s being such a fertile time for new Star Wars content, there was never a shortage of news and releases on which to report. Star Wars Galaxy magazine kept fans informed of the latest updates on the rollout of the special edition films, as well as on the video games, comics, novels, action figures, and anything else related to the Star Wars universe. At its core, the magazine captured the excitement around the fact that Star Wars was alive and vibrant, and that Lucasfilm had new stories to share about the galaxy far, far away. In the premiere issue, editor Bob Woods laid out the magazine's mission statement in a letter titled, A New Adventure Begins. Bob spoke with a passion and a clarity for what he wanted the magazine to be, and what he hoped it would become. Here is Woods' introduction. He wrote, Every once in a while, a genuine social phenomenon occurs. Not a fad or a trend like disco music, the grunge look, or Roseanne. But a truly unusual, exceptional, radical, meaningful event that has a major impact on millions of people's lives. The Beatles, the Vietnam War, and Woodstock are a few examples of the defining moments of the last three decades. Star Wars is right there too. What's phenomenal about Star Wars? The heroic characters, the uplifting adventure story, the fascinating alien places and beings, and the breathtaking special effects certainly are part of it. But to me, the most incredible thing about Star Wars is right here in your hands. Not to say that this brand new magazine itself is incredible, although everyone involved is very proud of it. The fact that it even exists is what really blows my mind. Those last three words should tip you off that I'm old enough to have actually used that expression when it was popular in the 60s, and to have been on hand when Star Wars first hit theaters in May of 1977. I'm showing my age by recycling 60s phrases. But by recalling the debut of Star Wars, I'm showing the long-lasting impact of George Lucas's science fiction saga. After 17 years, Star Wars remains a phenomenon. Whether you're 41, or 14, or 4, it's still a great movie. And so are the two sequels. Fans of all three continue to relive the film's fantastic scenes, to recite the dialogue, to relish in the exploits of Luke, Han, and Leia, and to debate the essence of the Force. Star Wars Galaxy Magazine, however, is not just about nostalgia, because Star Wars is not just about what was. It's about what still is, and what will be, as the adventure continues. This magazine is not going to just rehash what has already been said and written about Star Wars, The Empire Strikes Back, and Return of the Jedi. It is going to explore the many new and exciting ways in which those movies, their characters, their spaceships, and their strange worlds are very much alive today. What you'll find in this magazine which will be published for Lucasfilm Limited by the Topps Company four times a year, is all the news and information throughout the entire Star Wars galaxy. The articles, interviews, and regular columns will take a fresh new look at the memorable people, places, and things of the trilogy. They also will keep you informed about the many new Star Wars products being produced by dozens of companies worldwide, including books, comics, art, trading cards, video and computer games, role-playing games, toys, and collectibles. And our readers will be among the first to get information about Lucasfilm's new projects, such as the re-release of the original Star Wars and the completely new movie. Until then, may the Force be with you. Woods and the rest of the team at Star Wars Galaxy Magazine achieved their mission. They created a publication that fed the imaginations of fans in the 1990s. They informed readers of upcoming events and releases, but they also explored the films and content responsible for the fandom, and what made them so captivating to Star Wars fans all over the world. I've really enjoyed reading each issue of the magazine, and I certainly have more to comb through. And if I'm finding them exciting to read almost 30 years later, I cannot imagine what it would have been like to receive a copy in the mail in the mid-90s, before the internet became the source for Star Wars news and content. And the information in the magazine was so interesting, I thought I'd pass along some of it to you. Here are 15 fascinating facts from the films and stories that I learned reading Star Wars Galaxy Magazine. Number 1. Zoobaca. Did you know that one of the main parts of Chewbacca's iconic voice came from the San Jose Happy Hollow Zoo? In the first issue of Star Wars Galaxy Magazine, we learned that a bear named Tariq provided the wails and growls that helped to give Chewbacca his unique sound in The Empire Strikes Back. Tariq passed away at the age of 16 in the summer of 1994 but his voice will live on forever in the Star Wars films.
1: Chewie, take care of yourself, okay? (gasps) Okay,
2: okay. Bye, kid.
0: Number two, a Star Destroyer's Recycled Parts. In an article titled Raiders of the Lost Archives, the Star Wars Galaxy team spotlighted a San Francisco exhibit devoted to the treasures of the Lucasfilm archives. In addition to the exhibit, Chronicle Books published a book about the archives, co-authored by one of the Galaxy Magazine contributors, Mark Cotta-Vaz. Discussing the contents of the book, Vaz shared an interesting fact about how the model makers at Industrial Light and Magic used everyday household items to create some of the ships in the Star Wars films. I was surprised to learn that the ubiquitous egg-shaped containers for legs pantyhose, which were available in department stores, grocery chains, and in pharmacies, were crafted onto Imperial Star Destroyers. Number three, Star Wars keeps going and going and going. Do you remember the Star Wars-themed Energizer battery commercial? In 1994, the advertising agency Chiat Day Advertising created a 30-second spot pitting the pink Energizer bunny against Darth Vader. Chiat Day pitched its idea to Lucasfilm's vice president of licensing, Howard Rothman, Rothman recalled George Lucas's response to the novel presentation. He said, We'd never used Darth in advertising before. When the storyboards came in, I took them to George. I said, I know you're going to say no to these, but George got a great laugh out of them. He said they looked great. The commercial put its own spin on events from The Empire Strikes Back. Lucasfilm permitted Chia Day to use footage from the 1980 film and lent the production a Darth Vader costume for the new scenes with the Energizer Bunny. A new carbon-freezing chamber set was constructed for these scenes, and Lucas's special effects unit, Industrial Light and Magic, added its touch of movie magic to the ad. The Energizer commercial opens with the Emperor warning Vader about a new threat to the Empire. What is thy bidding, my master? There is a Greek disturbance. The bunny meets Vader in the carbon-freezing chamber. Vader ignites his saber, and the blade is inches from the bunny's face. His lightsaber shorts out and fades as Vader bangs the hilt to try to relight it. He unscrews the bottom, revealing two dead batteries, and yells in frustration. The Energizer bunny has won the battle and marches away from Vader, still drumming. The commercial was a hit with Star Wars fans. Using the original Empire footage stoked feelings of nostalgia, and the addition of the pink drumming bunny added a humorous twist to an established and iconic scene. In many ways, the Energizer ad primed audiences for the upcoming return of Star Wars to the pop culture arena, with the special editions coming in 1997, and the new prequel trilogy arriving at the end of the decade. Number 4. Luke's Unfortunate Nickname We know Luke Skywalker as the young moisture farmer turned Jedi Knight from the films. But do you know what his nickname was before he was visited by R2-D2 and C-3PO? Author Brian Daly helped to create a backstory for the Star Wars hero. After the success of his trilogy of Han Solo-themed novels published between the releases of Star Wars and The Empire Strikes Back, Lucasfilm hired Daly to write 13 half-hour episodes of the Star Wars radio play, produced by National Public Radio, also known as NPR. At a runtime of more than six hours, Daly's radio play was able to dive deeper into the world of Star Wars, far deeper than any film would ever allow. In addition to fleshing out some of the scenes from the original film, it also provided fuller backstories into the characters, like explaining how Princess Leia joined the Rebel Alliance. And Star Wars Galaxy magazine printed episode one of the radio play in its entirety, including pieces omitted in the original broadcast. The first chapter covered Luke's life on Tatooine, the challenges and frustrations he faced, his relationship with his friends, and his dreams of becoming a starfighter pilot. And in this first chapter, Daly reveals Luke's unfortunate nickname, bestowed upon him by his friends. Daly said, They called him Wormy. They knew he wasn't going to stay there with them, and they resented it. I wanted Luke to be like a lot of science fiction fans. He knows there's something bigger out there, and that sometimes he doesn't fit in. Today... Fans still revisit Brian's work, listening to the audio version of the radio play, or reading the scripts online. In a conversation with Star Wars Galaxy magazine, Daly reflected on his time as the author of the scripts. He described it as a great experience, and admitted to experiencing withdrawal after he completed it. And Daly also had the enviable opportunity To witness actors like Mark Hamill and Anthony Daniels Record the lines he wrote for NPR's radio drama Hey everybody Where's the party? Wherever I am, Luke Right, Cammie? Correct,
1: lover Hey boys Guess what Skywalker was doing? Hey. Sitting in the tech dome playing an academy recruitment tape. <laughs> you never Man, change, Skywalker. Is that all you want out of life? To parade around in a fancy uniform. So what do you <laughs> want that's so much better, Fixer? Yeah, you watch it, boy. Just because you got lucky on a couple of crummy tests, that doesn't make you some kind of junior space explorer. I never it's, said I was any better. You know better what I than- did back when they made me take those exams? Huh. I walked in filled out my name, and walked out again. <laughs> oh, nice. I showed him. Yeah. yeah, Just because he can answer fancy trick questions and do school book flight maneuvers, he thinks it makes him better than do Yeah, Luke. Mm-hmm. So you happen to qualify. So what? What do you think you are? Biggs or something? Yeah, he just wants to go to the academy because Biggs did. He always was his hero. Yeah, I'd like to go to the academy. Why shouldn't I? Because it's for suckers, Skywalker. (laughs) They want to stick you into a uniform and give you orders. At least here at the power station, I'm my own boss. (laughs) Anyway, my father says the Empire is just recruiting more people into the academies so they can draft them into the Starfleet. Do you Mm -hmm. think anybody out there cares about Luke Skywalker? Uh, uh, If you leave home, nobody knows you. Hey, where is the juice? Here it is. So... What's on the program for today, Fixer? Speedruns, Skywalker. Speedruns! Oh? Let me see how much time I can shave off the back stretch. Hey, do you want to try and keep up with me? Oh, Fixer. Huh? What? Me? What are you, you scared, Wormy? <sighs> yeah. All right. You're on. Crazy. Boy, we're me against the Uh, fixer. That's going to be a slaughter. (laughs) Well, then you can ride with Fixer, Deke. What are we waiting for, boys? Let's go. Fixer. Come back here, Fixer. I want this to stop right now.
0: Number five building a Tauntaun. Many of the -the behind-the-scenes documentaries for The Empire Strikes Back highlight how Industrial Light and Magic's effects team brought the Tauntaun to life on screen using a model and stop-motion animation. But Star Wars Galaxy magazine offered insight into how the Creature Shop created the puppet model that the animators moved, one frame at a time. Galaxy writer Mark Vaz shared an overview that was easy for fans to understand. He wrote, The process for creating the Tonton and similar puppet effects, usually requires sculpting the figure, making a mold with an armature placed inside, injecting foam rubber, baking it to vulcanize the rubber, then completing the finished puppet with the appropriate paint, costume hair, or other detailing. Once a master puppet mold has been made, extra copies can always be recast a necessity given the punishment a foam body gets from the hot lights during filming and the physical handling by an animator. Highlighting the process gave readers a clearer understanding of the masterful craft in bringing these creatures to life. And each one had a profound effect on making the Star Wars films and the universe they inhabited even more believable. (laughs) Number six, naming an admiral. Do you know how Return of the Jedi's Admiral Ackbar became Admiral Ackbar? According to creature designer Phil Tippett, George Lucas had visited the creature shop one day. As he was looking through a series of nameless and unique aliens the designers had crafted, Lucas zeroed in on the red, large-eyed fish creature and said, That's Admiral Ackbar. In Tippett's words, George had knighted him. The magazine revealed that in addition to using an actor in a suit to portray Akbar, a puppet was used for the close up shots and for dialogue. Admiral Akbar, please.
1: You can see here the Death Star orbiting the forest moon of Endor. Although the weapon systems on this Death Star are not yet operational, the Death Star does have a strong defense mechanism. It is protected by an energy shield, which is generated from the nearby forest moon of Endor.
0: Number 7. A Hildebrand History You may not know them by name, but you've certainly seen their work. One of the most iconic images, the original Star Wars poster, was done by artists Greg and Tim Hildebrandt. Greg and Tim, born five minutes apart, were identical twins. They developed an appreciation for art in their formative years and worked together on animated content for local studios and on illustration assignments. By the time they reached their 30s, however, the Hildebrandt brothers were frustrated in their careers. Most of the assignments failed to let them display their originality and talent, and Greg and Tim hungered for the opportunity to paint as deeply as their imaginations ran. But after reading J.R.R. Tolkien's The Lord of the Rings trilogy, they had a breakthrough. They were desperate to be a part of the world Tolkien created, and wanted to produce visual images to go with the vivid characters and story of Middle-earth. Their passion was exactly what the head of Ballantine Books needed for an upcoming Tolkien calendar, and the twins were hired on the spot, and the calendar sold over a million copies. And the success of that calendar led to a phone call from another agency in the spring of 1977, requesting the brothers paint a poster for a little-known space movie that was to be released in nine days. Greg and Tim were given a portfolio of black-and-white photos for reference and had three days to complete the painting. Against a starfield background, Luke Skywalker stands majestically with his glowing lightsaber over his head and with a barefoot and blaster-wielding Princess Leia below him. On the left side of the painting, a fleet of X-Wings surge upwards above the Lars homestead on Tatooine and toward the planet-shaped Death Star all while an imposing and ominous image of Darth Vader's helmet hangs in the sky behind our heroes. The twins' originality and creativity added an epic feel to Lucas' film, even before it was released. And now, more than 40 years later, the Hildebrand's poster has become one of the most iconic images for the beloved franchise, sparking the imaginations of a new generation of Star Wars fans. Number 8. Pepsi's Planetary Promotion In its summer 1996 publication, Star Wars Galaxy reported on a deal between Lucasfilm and beverage behemoth PepsiCo. Valued at $2 billion, it was labeled at the time as the biggest promotional alliance in entertainment history. Under the deal, PepsiCo agreed to promote the three releases of the Star Wars Special Edition films across its key properties, beginning in 1997. In addition to highlighting the images and logos of the Special Editions, PepsiCo ran sweepstakes and promotions across its Taco Bell and Pizza Hut restaurants and on its Pepsi and Frito-Lay products. Here is a Pepsi commercial announcing the Star Wars Special Edition film. As the theater audience watches the film, a young boy sips his soda too loudly, causing Darth Vader to come through the screen and to crush the boy's cup to stop the noise. An older usher, armed with a flashlight turned lightsaber, steps up to protect the boy and to confront Vader as the audience feels the edge of your seat impact of the battle. Oh.
1: on someone your own size. The Star Wars trilogy is back on the big screen and it's even better with a Pepsi. Great effects, man.
0: Yeah. Number nine, the early digital days of Star Wars. Today's sci-fi films are immersed in computer-generated effects that bring viewers to places they couldn't see on screen only a few decades earlier. And while almost all of the scenes and special effects were done practically for the original Star Wars trilogy, Star Wars was one of the earliest films to incorporate computer-generated imagery. Granted, it was only one sequence, but an important one. During the Rebel briefing scene in the 1977 film's climax, the Rebels are shown a digital rendering of the Star Wars construction plans in order to figure out its weakness and to prepare an attack. Star Wars Galaxy Magazine notes that this early imagery was a basic wireframe construct, the equivalent of a one-celled life form. And the magazine also mentions that the computer-generated effects used in the trilogy was merely the beginning of the medium's evolution. By 1983, Industrial Light and Magic was able to produce six to eight hologram shots for Return of the Jedi's Rebel War Room Briefing which was a leap from the effects of the first film's briefing. The shots for Jedi took three months to complete. Today, those same effects likely could be completed in a day by a complex computer animation program. It's interesting to note that in 1982, Lucasfilm's computer division was still working on a method to transfer a computer-based effect to celluloid. So the computer-generated sequences had to be filmed directly off a computer monitor using a camera in order to be able to insert them into Return of the Jedi. When asked about that time of working in the computer division, Bill Reeves said, We learned a lot by working on Star Trek II... Return of the Jedi, and young Sherlock Holmes. The people at Lucasfilm know so much about making films and the techniques of movie storytelling. Although at ILM the story would come to them, we learned from them what was important to making a good shot, from issues of color fidelity and shot composition to the compositing of elements. Those days were so enriching to me. We brought to Lucasfilm our knowledge of computers, and we learned from George his way of filmmaking. Number 10. Galactic Holiday Gifts In the fall of 1996, heading into the holiday season, Star Wars Galaxy magazine highlighted some of the extravagant Star Wars items retailer Neiman Marcus offered in its Christmas catalog. For $5,000, a Star Wars fan could purchase one of 500 life-size Darth Vader figures. Produced by Ruby's costume, the figures stood at 7 feet 4 inches high and were dressed in a Lucasfilm-approved authentic Vader costume. However, Neiman Marcus also offered a -a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, the chance to own a full-size replica X-Wing fighter. The X-Wing was part of the catalog's mail-in auction and measured 27 feet in length. It stood seven feet tall and its literal wingspan was 19 feet. The starting price for the X-Wing? $35,000. But any money raised over that price was donated to the Starbright Foundation, a charity benefiting seriously ill children. In an interview with Vanity Fair, Ginger Reader, the catalog's curator, recalled the Virginia Star Wars fan who put it in his backyard. Ginger said, I remember the first thing I had to do was send a film crew to videotape it being installed. In case he ever moved, he wanted to know how it was pieced together. Number 11. A Hunt for Audio Treasures To celebrate the 20th anniversary of Star Wars, Lucasfilm released the Star Wars Trilogy Special Edition in 1997. In addition to adding and updating new sequences for the films, the special effects were enhanced and the soundtracks and scores were remastered. As part of the special edition restoration team, Tom Christopher was able to track down the original four-track recordings of the actors' dialogues and the unique sounds created for the creatures, vehicles, and weapons of the first film. Regarding the hunt for the original recordings, Christopher said, "...bits were here in California that George Lucas had recovered, and some were in London." But some of the most important pieces of the puzzle were in a 20th-century Fox vault underground in Kansas.
2: The whole company is based on the philosophy that sound is 50% of the experience. And one of the things that I'm most proud of is the work that both Gary and Ben have done in the remastering of the soundtrack. Because the original mix was so complex, so good but there was no technology to actually hear it. And one of the things that George has spent an enormous amount of money trying to develop is a THX system. The advantage of the sound being presented digitally is that it not only it, you have discrete channels, you have uh, five channels of sound and they're separate from one another. In the old days the stereo was really an artificial recreation called a matrix where uh, the sound on the left and the right and in the center were derived from one signal and it was kind of artificially spread around the room. But now we can have discrete channels of sound so you get greater separation. The music sounds better, the ambiences are more spatial, things are more exact sounding. You also can reproduce low frequencies much more effectively, so you can get a subwoofer, a rumble that's much more effective. It can vibrate your chair. And so we've gone through and added, you know, low end in the spaceship passbys and explosions. And Vader uses the force and there's a rumble, and we've made you hear that rumble now. I find your lack of faith
0: disturbing. Number 12. The original Star Wars Weekends. For theme park attendees of Star Wars Galaxy's Edgeland at Disneyland and Disney's Hollywood Studios, every weekend can be a Star Wars weekend. But in 1997, Disney partnered with Lucasfilm to celebrate the 20th anniversary of Star Wars and to promote the special edition releases. Over the course of five weekends, park goers were treated to appearances by Carrie Fisher and the actors touring the country as the men behind the masks. Anthony Daniels as C-3PO, David Prowse as Darth Vader, Kenny Baker as R2-D2, Jeremy Bullock as Boba Fett, and Warwick Davis as the lovable Ewok, Wicket W. Warwick. At Disney's Hollywood Studios, then known as MGM Studios, the Star Wars actors cast their handprints in cement in front of the Grauman's Chinese Theater replica building, which housed the attraction The Great Movie Ride. The Disney Star Wars Weekends were a hit with fans and ran for the next two decades, adding actors from the prequel films as well as ones from the animated series The Clone Wars and Star Wars Rebels. We all love it. In fact, it's uh, four, What is the top grossing film in the world. It's made like over $453
2: million which is attributed to uh, a lot of the fans and, the, uh, and Star Wars being sustained uh, throughout the years. We had talked a little bit uh, before when Star Wars first came out. Of course, it got the great critical acclaim. And then videotape was just starting, so it is uh, suspended, and now, again, it's back on the uh, big screen. That's right, and I think a lot of the audience here, the the people generally under sort of uh, four-foot high, have only ever seen these movies on a very small screen. And I think uh, they're in for quite a shock when they see it on the big screen, with all that surround sound that kind of knocks you around in the chair.
0: Number 13. Jedi Academy Supplies. For children and teens heading back to school in the fall of 1997, Star Wars Galaxy magazine published an article highlighting Star Wars-themed school supplies. The article compiled some of the more unique and interesting offerings from the various school supply companies, including Yoda-sized notebooks and PVC pencil pouches from Mead, a Rose Art Millennium Falcon pencil sharpener, and Rebel and Imperial Pyramid backpacks with interactive lights and sounds. But the best school-themed item came from Tiger Electronics. It was a solar-powered calculator embedded in a detailed and fully painted X-Wing vehicle. The cockpit of the vehicle slid back to reveal the calculator, and the vehicle also had three sound effects buttons. Number 14. Lucasfilm Addresses the Rumors Two and a half years before the release of Episode I, The Phantom Menace, Star Wars Galaxy Magazine provided a rumor report concerning the long-awaited prequel. With the help of Lucasfilm, the magazine confirmed that George Lucas would be the director that sets were being constructed as pre-production began at London's Leavesden Studios, and that shooting would begin in 1997, a year from when this article was published. However, as a testament to the strength of the magazine's reporting, Lucasfilm also provided answers regarding some of the rumors that were floating around during that time. Here are a few of the more interesting ones, with Lucasfilm's responses. To the rumor that Lucas was considering Natalie Portman for the young female lead in episode one, Lucasfilm said, Our casting director has interviewed over 3,000 people for the two lead roles. No one has been cast to date. When asked about the copyrighted tentative title for episode one as Star Wars Genesis, Lucasfilm replied, George has not titled any of the prequels we are using episode one as a placeholder title. Although it was generally assumed composer John Williams would return to create the score for the prequels, Lucasfilm said, no decisions have been made regarding the music as of this date. In response to the idea that Winona Ryder would play the mother of Luke Skywalker and the wife of Darth Vader, Lucasfilm said, Ryder is not currently being considered for the part. And finally, when asked about the possibility of Frank Darabont, the author of the script for 1994's The Shawshank Redemption, writing Episode 1, Lucasfilm replied, Currently, George is writing all three scripts. There is a possibility that he may bring in another writer to help on the second and third scripts after he has the first drafts completed. George certainly admires Darabont's talent, having worked with him on the Young Indy series, But no writer has been signed on as of this date. The boy is dangerous. They all sense it. Why can't you? Fear is the path to the dark side. Fear leads
1: to anger. Anger leads to hate. Hate leads to suffering.
0: Number 15. A Closing Conversation with George. For the final issue of Star Wars Galaxy Magazine, the Topps team was invited to Leavesden Studios to tour the sets of the prequels in 1997. In addition to a visit to the creature shop and a look at the hangar and Queen Amidala's starship, the team sat down with George Lucas for an Episode 1 themed interview. I'd like to leave you with two fascinating answers George gave during the interview. They capture the essence of how he approached creating within the Star Wars universe. Star Wars Galaxy Magazine asked, This has been called one of the most anticipated films in movie history. How do you deal with that kind of pressure? And George said, It's basically my movie that I've been working on for 20 years, and the fact that everybody loves it and goes crazy for it is fine. But at the same time, I'm telling a story I want to tell. I'm doing things that in certain cases might be unconventional, that I might get killed for, but I'm doing what I want to do. I'm making it the way I want to make it. There are areas that I carefully avoided in the first three films. There are a lot more costumes and a lot more designs, a lot more hairdos. They'll drive you nuts. I like them. I work in this great, odd genre that doesn't really exist. It's a miniseries done with feature length films, and it's not done as one unit. It's done as what will eventually be 40 years. It will ultimately be 12 hours of just one story. It's broken into a bunch of pieces, but it's just one book. It's like a symphony more than a movie. It was all done on purpose to create a certain feeling when you watch all of them in order. Certain lines become more meaningful. It's going to change the first three movies rather dramatically. That's my whole reason for doing it. If it didn't change them, I wouldn't be doing it. At the end of the interview, Star Wars Galaxy magazine asked George, Do you read a lot of science fiction? And George responded, I'm not a particularly big fan of science fiction. I read a lot, but mainly I like history more than I like science fiction. The thing I find interesting about science fiction is that it's a form where you can deal with contemporary issues in a way that's non-inflammatory to people. You can deal with issues and ideas, take them out of their natural setting, and deal with them in a more interesting way. That's what I like about science fiction. It's a much more interesting and intellectual genre than what people think. In February of 1998, Star Wars Galaxy Magazine transitioned to become Star Wars Galaxy Collector. It ended its run in December of 1999, after two years and eight issues. Star Wars Galaxy Magazine is a true treasure for Star Wars fans and collectors. The insight, interviews, and information were invaluable to readers whose passion matched the size and scope of the films that consumed them. The writers of Star Wars Galaxy magazine respected their readership. It's evident in the content they covered and how they worked to bring each reader deeper into the conversation. If you'd like to explore Star Wars Galaxy magazine further, I'd recommend seeking out a few issues. Each cover consisted of a Star Wars image done by the comic or poster artist interviewed within the pages of that issue, and the Topps team provided information that you rarely found anywhere else, especially before the internet reached a mainstream audience. And if you're nostalgic for a look at the galaxy through a 1990s lens, the magazine is the perfect resource to do so. Thank you to Bob Woods and to everyone who worked on the magazine during its run. And thank you for listening to another episode of Star Wars, Prototypes and Production. As I mentioned, the idea for this one is really due to the kindness of my good friend Ryan Humblehorter. If you're looking for loose vintage figures or for any collectibles from the 70s, 80s, 90s, and above, feel free to reach out to him on eBay. His seller name is Humble Hoarder. That's H-U-M-B-L-E-H-O-R-D-E-R. He's always willing to help others find pieces for their collections. And even if you're not looking for anything in particular, it's always fun to connect with a fellow collector. If you enjoy these episodes and stories, please subscribe or follow the show on your preferred podcast platform. It's free to do so, and this way you'll know as soon as the next episode drops. And if you like the podcast, please share it with a friend, and please leave a review. These reviews not only help to give listeners an idea of what the podcast is like, but it also serves as a good indicator as to whether it would be worth their time as well. And on top of that, it also helps algorithm-based platforms to recommend prototypes and production to people interested in finding new audio shows. In fact, you can subscribe and leave a quick review right now, and it would take less than 30 seconds to do both. And you can do it while I'm talking. I certainly don't mind. We're nearing the end of another season of the podcast. This one has had some of my favorite episodes I've created so far, but if you're new to the podcast, please feel free to go back and check out episodes from seasons 1 and 2. My goal has always been to make each episode relevant not just to the week when they were released, but for any time after that. There is a wonderful two-part series about my trip to Cincinnati from the first year, a history of the Clone Wars and a three-part series about the Darksaber in year two. And if you're not caught up yet, the second half of this year is stocked with reports from various toy trips and conversations with collectors. So if you have the time and are looking to hear stories about Star Wars and collecting, please check out some of the 65 episodes of this podcast. I promise you, it will be an enjoyable and an exciting experience. Okay, I have to run. I have an upcoming series to prepare. For Star Wars Prototypes and Production. See you next time.